Heading into this past Christmas, I found myself searching for a gift that would truly resonate with my son. That's when I stumbled upon Blake Brewer's incredible journey on the Today Show. His mission? To help one million parents pen a well-crafted, enduring legacy letter. Inspired, I decided to take the Legacy Letter Challenge Masterclass. Now, Blake's step-by-step -step guidance made the process a breeze. Now, I'll admit there was a moment that brought tears to my eyes. A writing exercise where I penned the letter my father never had the chance to write. It transported me back to that November Saturday in 2012 by my dad's bedside as cancer took its toll. Unable to speak, I connected my son Spencer to bid his final farewell. Motivated by this powerful experience, I crafted my own legacy letter, a heartfelt message for my son, filled with wisdom and cherished stories. Now I'm urging you to seize this opportunity to create a lasting impact on your family's future. Visit executorhealthlegacyletter.com to witness Blake's inspiring story. And then join the Legacy Letter Challenge today and start shaping your own narrative, one word at a time. A legacy isn't just what you leave behind, it's about how you leave a positive impact on those you care the most about. So go to executorhelplegacyletter.com. Don't let silence be your legacy. My guest developed a curiosity about death from an early age, influenced by her experiences of watching people's responses to death and working in a nursing home at 18. She began collecting clippings related to death and dying, including obituaries and alternative burial options, and continued to explore the topic through her travels. Despite potentially uncomfortable nature of the subject, Madden Maven strives to make conversations about death more engaging and enjoyable for others. This is the Executor Help Podcast, the show for people who want the sense of security knowing all their affairs are in order. Avoid the stress and anxiety of what could happen to your estate, to your assets, and to your family when you're no longer here. Now here's your host, David Eady. Talking about death is probably one of the most difficult things to talk about. My guest today says in a world where we seem to be growing apart, this is probably the one thing that links us all to our common humanity. Madam Maven is the author of Death Maven, having everyday conversations about death and dying. Maven, thanks for taking the time to be here. Shall I call you Maven or are we going with Madam? Are we Madam Maven? No, Maven is fine. Thank you Maven? so much. Okay. Well, you know, first off, why don't we tell me a little bit about yourself and and. What made you want to write um, Death Maven? First of all, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate uh, your openness and the opportunity to speak about a topic that's typically not a very comfortable topic, but I've tried to make it a little bit more fun and engaging. Over the lifetime of uh, traveling and of watching people and certain, you know, certainly watching uh, my family, and I became very curious about how people individualize the whole death process. Um, of course, as a child, you're watching people, uh, your family respond. At 18, my very first job was working in a nursing home. And, you know, one of the duties of my uh, of my role was washing uh, the people um, as uh, after they died and taking them to the morgue. And then I started just really watching what was going on. And it was, it was almost like I had a scotoma. I was just seeing different things around the death and dying. I started getting clippings together of death-related things like obituaries, uh, alternatives to burials. Uh, again, with traveling, I just seemed to be drawn to the whole end-of-life process. Um, so, also so, when, so sorry to interrupt you, but you, you, you know, you, you, 
in a young age, you were around this death. Did how did it make you feel? Did you feel uncomfortable? And and, and what what drawn you to have so much curiosity about you know start collecting obituaries and and things of that nature? And that's a really good question. And I cert- I don't have a definite answer for that. It just it just seems like anybody that's got an interest. It's like interest in music or interest in fantasy books or interest in, you know, astrology. It just is there. And for me, I think initially the 18 year old me was kind of shocked when I washed my first body and took the first one to the morgue. And I thought, is that it? That's all? A lifetime ends being being washed by a little snot nosed 18 year old kid and you, you take their body to the morgue and so for me it's like there has to be more to this there's got to be a different way to look at it and because I was raised in a very uh, conservative religious family our dogma was was very mm, myopic and then once I got out into the world I saw that people approached it in a different way and I became more curious so it wasn't just my experience it was experience of others and how some people actually had some fun with it and and it wasn't all a doom and a gloom and and you know um difficult certainly that's part of it but some cultures actually had a little bit of fun with it so for me it was it was just something that i was drawn to just at a very young age clearly at that very young age you were um you're comfortable with it but if you society as a whole they're very uncomfortable with it why do you think that that we're so people don't have the same sort of feeling that you have no matter what age it is in terms of talking about death and why do they avoid talking about it? And that's a good question. And, and, you know, I think that there's two main reasons. The first one being, uh, if you talk about it, you're going to die, you're going to bring upon uh, this whole death thing, you know, like today. And so I think that talking about it um, in uh, with many people, it's, it's not nice and and they don't want to deal with it. And if they speak of it, it makes it real. Right. The second part that I think is more the issue is that with our uh, mainstream religions, it's all about death being a bad thing. You know, the whole grim reaper. Um, Frankly, I'd like to sit death down. I'd like to grab death by the scruff of the neck, sit it down and just have it stop being a bully. Uh, We got sold this bill of goods in many religious teachings um, that is meant to keep us in fear. And so I think it's it's something that we stay in fear. because we're not socialized to talk about it openly. Uh, my theory, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I having these conversations here on the show that when, it, especially when it comes to death and the reason why people might be um, afraid to talk about it or even think about it is because we don't, it, because it's unknown. We don't know what's next or people are afraid of leaving. That's where the uncomfortableness comes from. It's unknown. We don't know where we're going, and or, um, or not or, and we were afraid of leaving, leaving loved ones, and 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 it's that fear that we're leaving is what I don't want to think about that. I want to talk about that because I don't want to leave. Totally. Totally. But so is so. Why do you say that that uh, death can be ugly? It's horrific and barbaric, and the process of dying is probably the most ordinary thing in the world. It seems like it's a it's a contradiction. It's not. 
death is the most ordinary thing in the world, but it can be any of those things. So what makes it those things is, um, is watching someone die, for example, of cancer or Lou Gehrig's disease, any of the, any of the, the diseases that, you know, be, that take your body away from you. That's the barbaric thing, but the process itself, we were made to die. We, we, we die because we have lived. And so those things are not incongruent. Um, it can be horrific. It can be horrible. It can be barbaric. And the process of death is the most ordinary thing in the world because we all do it the way that it's individualized changes yeah. but the end result is the same in the book which i thoroughly enjoyed you cover so many conversations on the topic of death um so let me just touch a little bit on on a few of them obituaries now you know what are your thoughts on obituaries and and why did you think it was something that you needed to put in the book the reason why I put the, pro the chapter on obituaries is because it's sort of the last thing that shows the sparkle of your life. And the obituaries that I chose to include are ones that are irreverent. They're fun. They're different. They're off the wall. And instead of having something that is very staid and, and you know, what they did, which is, which is not a bad thing, but more around the personality quirks and the peccadilloes and the individual personality of the person. I loved researching the obituaries because the ones that I chose made me laugh out loud. And I thought to myself with each single one of them, oh my goodness, I want to know that person. Yeah. That person sounds like somebody fun. So that's the spark of life that they had when they were on this planet. Now, do you think, and I'm going to have you read a, a couple of those obituaries because they, they were pretty funny. Do you think that the individual wrote it before they pass and they knew they were going to pass or was it written by somebody who knew that person and they knew what their life was about their personality and they knew that they had um they they enjoyed to laugh or they enjoyed humor it's it's a combination of both um most of them are written by family members and of course they knew their parent or their or their grandparent best and so you know the parent uh, or the, the person was able to give them some guidance in terms of what it looked like. But for the most part, it was written by family members, although some of them are written by one, by uh, the actual person. Writing your own obituary is a really good, it's, it's a good exercise in terms of what made your life sparky and special and fun and engaging and what meant most to you during that life. Um, I just really enjoyed the personalities that showed up in these. I, I, I'm a after reading that chapter, it made me think, you know, is that something I'm going to put with my will in terms of, um, you know, my final love letter to everybody, which would be my obituary? Would I want to do that? And I, and, and I get that feeling, the essence of, you know, some of the examples that you have in the, the book. So why don't you read one? Um, there's two that I picked out. Uh, let's let's do Ida first. Sure, we can do Ida first. So so just for a, just a point of clarification, if you're looking at the obituary piece, sometimes the will is not opened until sometime after you're you're gone, and so the obituary piece needs to happen prior to any will. So along with the personal directive or that sort of thing. So just make sure that people know about it. Um, yeah, so Ida was a particularly good one. Um, Ida's obituary was written uh, 
partially by her and partially by her family. And here's how part of it reads. Ida had a rich but strict childhood. She graduated from high school in 1950 and attended Memphis State University. Ida married high school friend Carl. The marriage decayed and the couple divorced in 1954. Ida said her marriage to Carl was a three ring circus, an engagement ring, a wedding ring, and suffering. Ida met and married Alan in 1960. Ida said, I never knew what real happiness was until I got remarried, then it was too late. I just, I just think that, I mean, that's both funny, but sad. It's, it's so, it just really encapsulates her life. Yeah. It, it's, it, 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 when I read that one, it made me think as well too. It, it shows, you know, the before and after of her life, but she clearly said that she found um, the happiness in the latter part of her life and it, there wasn't enough left. She didn't get enough to enjoy it, which was amazing. Yeah. That's great. But she also but she also speaks the experience of so many people. Three ring circus. I mean, and and but she was brave enough to put that into writing. Yeah. And she added her own little humor, which probably will make friends and family when they see that you nod their head and say, Yeah, that's how I remember Ida. She exactly. it sort of um sums who she was in her life. Let's talk about uh I like this one, Flathead. Please share Flathead. Yeah, okay. Story. So uh, Flathead, um, who uh, whose real name was was Mike, but Flathead is how the obituary read. Weary of reading obituaries, noting someone courageous battle with death, Mike wanted it known that he died as a result of being stubborn, refusing to follow doctor's orders, and raising hell for more than six decades. He enjoyed booze, guns, cars, and younger women until the day he died. Right. Yeah. So Flathead clearly went out with a smile because he got all of the things that were important to him. He was able to get that in over those six decades. Good for Flathead. Right. Wow. So so I guess uh, I think I asked you already, but I guess you're a big proponent to maybe writing your own obituary. Or I've started doing that. Yeah, I've started doing that for myself. But yes. And, and it's again yes, your work and yes, this and, and, you know, what was important to you. Um, but what I really liked about these obituaries is it picks out the little sparks of humanity and the sparks of reality and authenticity of each one of these beings. And that I liked. And so, yes, please write your own obituary. Yeah. Think about it. Because if you don't do it, somebody's going to do it for you. You may not like what they write, not that you're going to have any say in it, but think about putting your own your own. It's words. not going to really capture who you are, or how you want to be remembered. The the legacy that you want to leave behind. I think I think you're right. I I think that's the case. Yeah. Another chapter which uh, which I found was had a lot of touching moments um, is the story of Mary and her compassion uh, fatigue. Um, you know, Mary, she went through a lot. Um, maybe you can share a little bit of her story and why you and why you felt that you needed to add that to, to the book. What did you want uh, the reader to learn from her story? What I wanted the reader to understand is that they're not alone. So the compassion fatigue and so just a little bit of, of, of what happened to her. She had um, a husband who was in and out of hospital multiple times, several times. 
they were a Catholic family. He had been given last rites twice that that I know of. And um and she was grieving. She grieved for his on it for his death twice. And each time the system fixed him and sent him back home for her to take care of. By the time he finally did die, she was done. She she had no more tears left. She had grieved. She already had Mm, let the, her husband go um, but the body wasn't following she let go of the love but the body was still around and so by the time he passed away she had no more tears left and she just um, she actually got some pushback from some of her from one person in her family how can you be at the gravesite and not be crying and she said I've already cried I have no more tears and so I think that just speaking Letting people know that it's okay to not have any tears left. Letting people know that it's okay to let to, to be glad that somebody is gone, because in terms of this, he needed to die in order for Mary to have any life. That happens so much that people are not given permission. It's not socially acceptable to say, "I'm I'm glad this person has gone because they were suffering." They were not having fun and I was not having fun because it's not that that her husband was living longer. Her husband was dying longer. And that whole process certainly happens, especially with dementia and people in nursing homes and care homes that they're. The spouse is dealing with someone who is no longer their husband or their wife mm. and grieving for someone who is who is gone, but still alive. Is the most difficult thing and as we're aging as more and more of us get dementia that reality happens a lot and so i just wanted to bring voice to that reality that i know is happening but people are not it's not socially acceptable to say thank goodness it's finished but the does that make sense to you it does and knowing the the, the story um actually it was her daughter that stepped up and was giving her, you know, you know, talking to her about she wasn't grieving the right way. And what I find um, since, you know, writing the book and doing this podcast is that it, I, it's opened my eyes to how people in these situations act, um, you know, things they might say to someone or how they're going to treat people when others are going through a tough time. And when I read what her daughter said, it made me think, the daughter was making it about her. She wasn't worried about what was, you know, how can I help you, mom? It was about her, how she was feeling and whatever relationship she had with her dad. That's one thing, but you can't project what you're feeling. Um, should feel Everybody should feel the same way that you do. So she made it about her. So that made me kind of uh, upset. And I can see that because again, when it comes down to the, the, the topic of death, people really don't know how to behave. They don't know how to act. They don't know what to say, um, you know, and then you, you couple that with, I don't, um, you know, you couple that with, you know, having an executor and, you know, you've got to settle the estate and and handle all of those things. People just, the, the, the whole, you know, everything that surrounds death affects everybody and it affects people differently. We need to, and I'm glad we're having this conversation. I'm glad you've written this book that people need to learn more of how to get better at, because a lot of times people just make it about them. 
and they're not worried or concerned about the individual who's going through the loss or who's who's dying. And uh, so, it, and it, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you wanted you wanted the reader to understand that it's it's okay for people to to grieve or to help to help them grieve or the person who's the caregiver. It's okay to let your the loved one go and don't feel guilty. Well, don't feel guilty because in this case, the, the lady's husband uh, had had died, you know, five years earlier with the first bout of crisis and the system kept bringing him back and bringing him back. And there were so many ambulance visits from the house to, to the hospital. And actually in, in one of these situations, um, I, uh, I think in this exact situation, um, you know, the husband came home and said, Oh my goodness, I'm so glad, you know, God's answering my prayers. Yes. And the wife the looked at him and say. said, stop praying. That's right. You're stop praying. God's answering your prayers. God's not answering my prayers. And it's his death where her prayers finally were answered. Yeah. So different prayer, different answers, different questions, different, just different ways of grieving. What I really love is the time you spend talking about the ethical legacy letter. Can you share what it is? Um, why write one? And do you have a story about the impact it can have on a family? Oh, there, that's that's a that's a big topic. So the the legacy letter or the legacy project it's 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 basically the the life events of of someone, what was important to them, why they made decisions that they did, maybe expressing great love for someone that they or or in a um, uh, an apology or sharing someone something to someone in the family or elsewhere that's meaningful and, and that is heartfelt. And so the legacy letter is a way that the person who's passed can put it with their will to also make it known why they made the decisions they did. So it maybe gives more teeth to the will as well. And the challenge, the, the challenging of that will by family members may be mitigated because the legacy letter is in place to give direction and to give reason why the will is the way it is. Uh, you know, I mean, some of the things that have been included is uh, recipe books, for example, photo albums, um, some special pictures, um, music, music and, and you know, to to have. So a legacy letter is not just a letter, but it can be a piece of music that means something to the to that person and to the, the, the life of their family. Um, each one tells a different story. It creates connection, conversation and more importantly, provides closure and healing for everybody and um and it's just a beautiful way to sort of have your quote-unquote last word and to leave the family with something really heartfelt now we're assuming that the legacy letter is always roses and, and honey be careful about the legacy letter being something other than because that can also take a twist but the intention is the legacy letter to be a very positive passionate thing to leave for people you leave behind. I'm I'm glad that you brought it up because I'm starting to learn how to write my own legacy letter. And I never thought of it on the flip side, you could leave, you know, um, you know, that it'll be not roses and honey, as you just said, but I'm, I'm running, writing one for my son and also to my um, granddaughter Penelope, or I like oh. to call her P baby. 
Um, and I'm doing that is so that my voice is going to live on when I'm gone and they're going to have something in their hands that they can always read that I wrote specifically to them. And I know you mentioned that in the book as well. I think it's going to leave a lot more um, memories, happy memories. If you write a, a personal letter and say, you know what, what I loved about you, what I hope for you, hopefully when they're going through tough times or they, they want to, you know, get some confidence or, um, you know, how they're going to navigate through life, maybe. And those are the things I want to put in my legacy letter to say that, you know what, this is what my, my dad left for me. This is what my grandfather left for me. He thought of me and wrote these letters and it's going to be a keepsake. And I think we don't do enough of that. Um, and I, I want to be remembered. I don't want to be remembered for what I didn't do. I want to be remembered for what I did. So I want them to say, you know, he's no longer here, but I still, he wrote, took the time to write me this letter every year. Maybe I'm going to add to the letters so that there's going to be something there that, uh, hey, um, my granddad, my dad thought of me. And this is just something that he thought of me that's going to be stay with me forever. It's a keepsake. And it's it's what you're also saying uh, in, in the book that why well, you need to do this. Yes, it's good to talk about, um, you know, what the, the will was about, but I hope they would have a, an extra conversation before they pass away of what's in the will. But adding that extra ethical legacy letter, talking about, you know, why you did what you did in the, the will will help, will help will help families. But I think the also the other legacy letter is the ones that the personal notes that you want to leave to individuals that meant a lot to you. Uh, and oh. I think it's I think it's kudos to you to put that in the book because not a lot of people are thinking about that. But if you sit back and say, you know what, what do I want my legacy to be about? Um, sure, money and all that other stuff is going to marry. It's going to matter. It's going to help out. But I think that for a legacy and for what you're doing for someone, if you want to leave something extra special and show that the people that you really cared about, a letter might be uh, the thing to do. So it's great that you put that in the book. Well, as I'm as I'm listening to you, David, I'm wondering whether uh, I may give you um, and other listeners a suggestion in terms of creating a video. So, for example, your granddaughter, um, we don't know when we're going to die, but consider creating a video for your granddaughter to be played on her wedding day, just in case you're not around. So again, every year you can update, you know, your, your, your video, you can even have, um, I've got an idea. So I'm just going to give you this, this idea, sure. um, you know, have a dance with her on her sixth birthday, on her 16th birthday and videotape it. And then, you know, if you if you know that you're ill, for example, I don't want to, I never wish this, I don't want to be morbid, but if you know that you're ill and you're not going to make it to see her wedding, you know, you've got these videos of her dancing and, and your, your last video could be, you know, I danced with you on your sixth birthday, on your 16th birthday, I wish I could dance with you now, but I'm dancing with you in spirit, something like that. Mm. Um, I have a, I have, I saw many, uh, many years ago, a video of a, of a father, again, along this idea who videotaped him dancing with his daughter on every birthday. So one year old, he's, you know, she's in his arms, two years old, three years old, six, all, every single birthday, they had a dance together. And then when the daughter got married, the dad played the video and then danced with his daughter on his, on the, on the wedding day. So it's not just the letter. You can have a video tribute as well. That's a good idea. So just some ideas. Yeah. Just some yeah. ideas. 
those are that those are the personal things you bring him a little bit of a tear to my eye because again we're talking about p baby and that's fine but you also write in the book that um death is big business why do you believe that I've been around long enough to see wills contested. I've been around long enough to see probate sent into a tizzy. And you working with the states, David, you've seen this. Lawyers and courts love it when families fight. Love it. So there's big business around getting that sorted out. Um, if a will is not written appropriately, if estate planning is not done ironclad, lawyers and courts love it as well as uh, the government. So big business, if you don't have, uh, let me backtrack, many banks and lending institutions have <clears throat> estate divisions where they are actually doing the disbursement of the, of the estate. They charge for it. They're not doing it because they're good people. They're charging big money to take care of your money. So I'm just saying that it's big business and that's over and above the funeral industry. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you don't take care of these things ahead of time, pre-plan, pre-paid, pre-book, you know, the, um, the money that you're going to have to spend will really be money that's leveraged out of your guilt and your lack of planning. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, and, and that's the uh, reason one of the, probably one of the catalysts I wrote the book is that if you don't plan properly, you'll end up like myself you know, seven years, 10 court appearances and $50,000 to settle my parents' estate. So it's that came about from lack of conversations, but I still ended up scratching checks to to the uh, to the lawyers to, to handle that estate, $50,000 gone. And in the end, the three of us, we haven't spent the holidays together since 2010, and we don't any, own any of the assets that my parents owned. So... Um, it is big business, and that's why we need to have the conversations. That's why you need to plan, like you said, pre-plan conversations. Make sure that you, you know, you might decide that you might want to go the route, route of uh, the uh, the bank in the in their estate um, services, which is costly, or you might ask a family friend or a family member to to be your executor. But then that all comes with a cost. So you need sure. to figure that out. But the important thing is to, is to have a plan and to have conversations like we're having. Um, and, you know, after picking up uh, and get and getting the book, uh, Death Maven. So in closing, what would, what was the reason that you wrote the book? Who's it for? It's a great question. I know. That's why I only ask good questions. Great question. Um, I was running into people who didn't know what they didn't know. And the reason I wrote the book is to inform people to have them look at different aspects of the whole death process. Because like you even said, David, there's parts of the book that you read and you didn't even realize that it was a thing, right? So I want people to know what their options are. I want people to have conversations with them, with their families. And I think to give people permission to think outside of the box, I, to give you more control. Listen, we're all heading to the train station. You know what I'm saying? We're all heading there out of Yellowstone. I mean, you know, take them to the train station. Or, or, or the or the song, which is my one of my theme songs now, is uh, the Traven Wilburys. We're all going to the end of the line. End of the line, absolutely. But we don't know when that is, and so right. it gives us a chance to really to really enjoy life now. There is nothing sad about death. What is sad is not having lived. To me, that is the biggest sin. Death is not a sin. 
not having lived is a sin. And exploring all of this and making your life richer because of the conversations is part of having lived. This, this I'm not going to say fascination with death, but the, the whole thinking of death and starting back when you were 18 and here we are several years later. Decades, I, decades later. Okay, okay, decades later. I'm not going to get into your age. The 18-year-old person to the person we uh, we are today, Maven, is that you've written this book. All of the things that you've seen over that time, based on that curiosity, the thought around death. So what would you say are the three things that you know the reader should walk away with after reading your book? I think the three main things is to rethink what you've been taught about death. This ridiculous conceptualization of death with all of its dusty, stinky black robes and litter and nothing. Death has nothing for soul, brains, or heart. And I think that's a story that we've been socialized to believe. I would like us to choose a different story, kinder and gentler. And number two, have it being a catalyst for conversation with your family or for your friends or even with yourself. And realize that because you talk about it, the third thing, because you talk about it, actually lights up. When you put words to it, you'll realize, you know, we fear death, but what is it exactly that we fear? What are we afraid of exactly? So to give people a sense that they do have, they don't have control about necessarily the end, but they sure have control about the journey and to have some joy in the journey. I want them to love life as much as they as much as they fear death and, and to just get away from that fear, minimalize it. Madam Maven, I want to thank you for taking time to be here. Your book, Death Maven, Having Everyday Conversations About Death and Dying, is an easy read. It's people, it, it, it makes people think, have the conversations, and also look at death from a different angle. We need to have more conversations. I appreciate you, appreciate the work that you're doing. We will have you back on in the future. We can continue the conversation and make it as easy um you know like how we're having back and forth that it's it's not that difficult and hopefully by the time i you know stop recording nobody's going to die so we'll be we'll be fine i'm pretty <laughs> sure so uh, once again um madam maven i'd like to thank you so much for being here on the show i so much appreciate your time and the openness to having this conversation david um thank you so much i hope you enjoyed the episode can you do me a favor Show some love for the podcast by leaving me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Can you share it? And subscribe to or follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Eady. Thanks for listening.